Hi folks, this is Data Stories number 32. I'm actually in New York. <laughs> so I'm sitting for once in the same room with Enrico in the recording. Hi Enrico. Hi. How are you doing? It's great. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited we are in the same room. Yeah, it's weird. I'm happy to be I here. can slap your face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or kick, kick my legs when or I say kick, something yeah. stupid. Yeah. Happens all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's great to be in New York together. We are having good weather, yeah. and we are in a nice setting right now, right? We it's are true. hosted by Accurate in New York, right. and it's super we are nice in studio. Super nice studio in uh, downtown and uh, cozy place. A little hot here, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's fantastic. But before we come to the main part, let's talk about listener feedback. So last time we asked uh, our listeners to send in a bit more comments and yay, we actually get some. <laughs> so that's cool. If you ask for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what you get. So there's a few really nice suggestions. We had one on Twitter uh, coming from Andrew. He said we should talk about accessibility for information graphics. I think that's, that's a topic everybody ah. is like dodges a bit, you know, is like <laughs> not really working on. So that's yeah. cool. Yeah, I think it's a great topic. I mean, it's a little counterintuitive doing visualization for blind people right, yeah. or visually impaired people. But man, I mean, if we want to have more Vs around the world and communicating more through this channel, then we have to take care of these people who are visually impaired or right. even blind. Yeah. I mean, otherwise well, it would be exclusive. There's also right? color blindness or all kinds of... Uh... Of issues, yeah. yeah. Yeah, sure. So you can go from the more from the subtle things up to yeah, people who cannot even see. How do they? <laughs> yeah. How do they experience uh, the charts and visualizations that we produce? That's, yeah. that's a big, big problem. Well, we should work on that. And I think the other suggestions we had a lot of suggestions actually talking about tools. So some people talk. People about, always want to people, ask yeah, to talk about tools. tools. So either programming tools like <laughs> Raphael, so Sia Bonga Africa said on Facebook. He'd, he'd love to hear more about alternatives, like for for instance to D three something like this, or if we if you know about Matplotlib for coming from Python. Yeah. And uh, Sven Erik uh, Schellhorn, actually a friend of mine. Um, <laughs> Also commented on, on Facebook that he's really excited about Tableau with the R integration and would like to talk about big data analysis tools, things like that. Who is not? Yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah, I think that when you guys, when you suggest us to discuss more about tools, I think you should come up with some names and then it's easier. Who do you want us to invite? Yeah, we need people. We are, we are able to invite people, but we need, we need new ideas. Exactly. That's true, yeah. I think we had some few techies in the past. So if you guys want more techies, just let us know you want us to interview. Yeah, I agree. Right? Yes. <laughs> uh, what else? More comments? No. Kim, uh, oh, Kim, Kim. made a comment on the, on the blog. She said it's super important that there's also tools, like non-standard tools and not the super techie tools, but more the creative ones. I agree. Oh, she said, I have to respectfully disagree with Enrico. Yeah. Thanks, Kim. Yeah. Thanks, Kim. <laughs> Somebody helping me, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no but I, I fully understand her point. But at the same time, I think that we are too much. There's, I think we have to find the right balance. There are so many tools around right. it. I think that, I mean, people who enter the field for the first time, they're totally blown off. Yeah. It's really hard to find the right path. Yeah. The other thing is, 
tools in a podcast is also always tricky. <laughs> like, yeah, somehow you need to sit at the same machine and, you know, try something out sometimes. Yeah, we should well, do a At least the people behind the tools or experts at using the tools, I'm super happy to invite. Absolutely. Sure. Should we start with our special guest? Absolutely. Can do it. <laughs> Guess what? We are at Accurate, so... <laughs> Who could it be? <laughs> <laughs> so today we have Georgia Lupi from Accurate. Hi, Georgia. Hi. Welcome. Thank you for having me and thank you for coming to the office. <laughs> Yeah, it's so beautiful. One of the nicest offices I know. So it's beautiful. It's yeah. beautiful here. Can you come some days to work here? Of course, you're more than welcome. To bring some pastries or beers. Yeah, it's not too far from where I live. Yeah. yeah. So we're gonna talk Italian today. Sisi. Sisi. We never talk Italian. Por qué no? Por qué no? Por qué no? And so I'm officially your first Italian guest. Uh, I guess so. Nice. Mm -hmm. We always want to have Paolo, but yeah. somehow he never makes time. Yeah. Yeah. But we shouldn't have time. Time to convince him. Yeah, he's too busy. Paolo, you are too busy. Try to find some time for us. <laughs> okay, uh, Georgia Luby. So, Georgia, why don't you introduce yourself? This is what we always ask to our guests. Sure, Who sure. is Georgia Luby? What are you doing? <laughs> okay, so. <laughs> what are uh, you doing in New York? <laughs> <laughs> Having fun? No, uh, actually, I am yeah, co founder and design director at Accurate, which is an Italian information design company. And now we have an office in New York, and we are very happy about that. I'm also finishing my PhD at Density Design Lab at Politecnico di Milano, and I guess everybody knows about density. But yeah, um, I have to be honest, the specific field of data visualization was a bit foreign uh, to me until a couple of years ago. In fact, I studied architecture at the university. I've never really been working as an architect. But, you know, during all the architectural studies, I've always been interested in the aspect concerning the representation of information, even if it comes to the architectural drawings and something. And I think that I just like always try to push, um, you know, all of my architectural and urban projects within the university toward uh, working with information and mapping systems. Also, my master degree thesis was definitely an information mapping project. And then it came naturally to me that then I started working in the interaction design field. In Basically, in 2011, I both co-founded the company and started the PhD. Yeah. This is a little bit of a short too story. Easy, too easy tasks. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So that were two busy years, right? Yeah, really, really busy, but I mean, I'm, I'm happy. Yeah. And you have some music background as well, the ones you're dancing yeah, or like composing actually, was, or something? I, I know. I, I've been doing so many different kind of things when I was younger. I've been dancing, contemporary dance, for, mm -hmm. say, something like 20 years. Wow. So until I was little, little. And also I've been playing the piano and composing music. Yeah. So I think that when I was 18, I still was wondering whether to go to the architectural university or whether to to try to be a dancer or a musician and then <laughs> I think my parents kind of convinced me that maybe dancing and music not so good so. <laughs> what do they say now do, you, do they understand now what you're doing yeah I think that just lately they understand what I do uh, at the very beginning when I started to say that's okay I degree at a university architecture but I want to work with information and you know representing information they couldn't really get it. And also when we started the company, they were like, mm -hmm. we trust you guys. We don't really understand what you're going to do, but that's okay. But now I think they, they're 
become pretty much expert. I mean. Yeah, that's yes, everyone's nice. problem, right? Yeah. How do you yeah. introduce yourself? Maybe in we party? should do a recording with our parents. So, Akkurat, how many people are you now all together? So, uh, before I forget everybody, I have some notes sure. here. <laughs> no, actually, we are three partners, and so mm -hmm. the original partners. Um, just to give you a little bit of background of who we are, Simone, uh, the partner that now is in Milan, he is a sociologist as a background. Mm -hmm. Gabriel, he's a designer, but funnily, he, he's now managing the company, so he's not into design part, and I am an architect. And then we have seven full-time designers, mm -hmm. uh, some of them specialize in data visualization and some of them more on the information design, um, interaction design side, and I like to name them here. Yeah, so we have cool. Alex, Marco, Michele, Federica, Stefania, Francesco and Pietro. Lots of Italian And only one of them is in New York, is Michele, that yeah. is like next mm -hmm. room. And we have a CTO, is, is Marco, is a very skilled developer and also all-around problem solver. And we have another full-time developer whose name is Francesco. And he was a postdoctoral researcher in the field of big data analysis. Mm -hmm. We also have another data analyst with a particular background. His name is Glauco. He studied archaeology in his first place. Wow. And then he specialized wow. in statistics. And then he had a PhD in information science and a postdoc in the digital humanities. This field. Mm -hmm. A brain. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> totally. And then our very, very first employee who was with us uh, from the very beginning, Davide, who manages an essential part of the company. He, he is an architect, he's an architect as a background, as I am. Um, he right now works mainly on the data research part, but he also is like in charge of lots of operation in the company. Mm -hmm. Plus, we have some regular collaborators for both the design and development um, side, Valerio, Federico, Riccardo, Daniela, Mauro, another Marco, and two Tommaso, actually. Wow. And then we have an intern, That's intern, a big family. That's a big family. Yeah. <laughs> All Italian names. We should start working with some American guys. Like so, it. yeah. Like this, right now, yeah. the stuff... The so it's like 15 stuff, people yeah, or something like this? Yeah, the full time top is 15. And, I mean... I think I'm still impressed. In two years, I mean, I know that we are a small company, but to me, 15 is a very big number. It's a big number, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a big responsibility. Yeah. And how did it start? So you were three founders, and did you like bootstrap it more or less? That you had a few small commissions and they became bigger yes. or did you have funding or investment? No, we didn't have any funding at all and we still don't have any investment. Basically, Simone and I, we've been working together for the last, uh, I mean, for two years before starting a company in this company called Interaction Design Lab. And <laughs> two of us, we were really focused on information visualization. And for us, it just like came natural that we wanted to start something mm -hmm. ours, you know, yes, somehow that yeah. company. And also Gabriel has a company before and he just quit the company because after five years he was just like trying to do something else. And we just tried to do something together. And the company actually started because we had a first um, offer for a job for an Italian bank to mm. uh, work for their online magazine to, you know, um, communicate their financial ideas through graphics and videos. And actually, we had to build a company because they had to mm -hmm. sign the first contract. <laughs> so this is how everything started, actually. Okay. Yeah, and you know... So it had to happen. You didn't have a choice. <laughs> oh, yeah, something like that. <laughs> You're very happy about that. Yeah, yeah nice, nice. Yeah. But I think that really we focused on data visualization. Um, 
a little bit later at the very beginning we were just like more working with i would say infographic as not not really really working on quantitative data analysis and representation and we started um we, st we really started working on that with the opportunity with Corriere della Sera mm -hmm. which is the main italian newspaper that density design published on that before mm -hmm. and then we kind of succeeded and this was really in 2012 the very first moment that we realized that that's okay, data visualization is how can we uh, define... So I'm, I'm curious to hear, how did you discover this then? I mean, was there a time where at some point you thought, oh my god, there is, there is this out there? <laughs> <laughs> or, or is it just happen? Well, I think it's always a matter of opportunities. So we started with this more qualitative data uh, representation, which is really like I would call infographic, even if I know that the definitions and the difference is kind of like blurry, so I don't know. But then because other kind of clients ask us to analyze their data, just because they okay. saw that yeah, we could yeah. represent information visually, we started you know, figuring out that we needed data analysts and then, then we needed a developer and then, then we needed to have more designers. And so, I don't know, I think oh, that things really came naturally sure. to us. Sure. And sure. Yeah, I think that another introduction um, has to be that you have to know that in Italy, the market and, uh, and also the scene around data visualization is not that big as is maybe worldwide. Yeah. Lately, with density design and all of this kind of experimentation mm -hmm. that La Lettura and Francesco Franchi did, I think that... Italian. It's and growing too. Yeah, it's growing too. But yeah. at the very beginning, we really had a hard time explaining what we wanted to do, what we, I mean, what the potential of this field was. So, I don't know if I can answer your question. Sure, <laughs> you did. Absolutely. Yeah. And then you moved to New York. How did this? <laughs> yeah. We're still in the two years of, you know, I know. <laughs> of yeah. craziness. Yeah, yeah. So, oh. Something very personal, I think that as my 20s came to an end, I realized that I had to try to live abroad. Mm -hmm. I never did it, but I mean, I really, really wanted. And I was in New York in the first place for my PhD, uh, spending six months of visiting researching at Parsons. And so I felt in love with the city, day number two. <laughs> and there was something in me saying, that's okay, I, I have to try to live here. Mm -hmm. And then Gabriel, my other partner, who is also my partner in life, came along and we just tried without any kind of marketing strategies to see if it was possible for us to find a market here mm -hmm. and it happened <laughs> this is the short story <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I have to confess that, so I met uh, Georgia and Gabriele when they were in New York before coming back to Italy mm -hmm. I met them and then they were kind of like oh we would like to go back to New York maybe sometime we would like to open a company and honestly, in the back of my mind, I was kind of like, here we go, another another wishful thinking kind yeah, of... Yeah. <laughs> I would never expect them to come back and do it for real. Uh -huh. And then when they came back, I was kind of like, oh my God, Oops. they did it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and having success, I mean, that, that's, that, that was really great. I yeah. take it as a positive. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, yeah cool. I know. I think that in New York it's also very easy to find people that come here with a three months, you know, touristic visa, and then it's very hard to get a working visa, and so they have to go back. So yeah, it, it, I think it's very common and likely to find people that stay here, desperately want to stay and stay longer, but they finally couldn't make it. So yeah, I understand yeah. your point. Yeah, <laughs> we actually we had a, a question from Twitter from Scott Scott mm -hmm. Murray, and he asked. I, th I found it interesting. 
if there are any aesthetic or visual different like design style yeah. differences between Milan and New York or Europe and, and yeah, I think so Milan has a long history in design. Sure, right? yeah, yeah, but yeah. yeah, yeah. I found this question interesting as well. Um, I don't really think there is a kind of specific geographical difference. I don't really think there is a difference. But then, Enrico, please, you will help me later. I think it depends on the need for uh, a specific output. And I also think there has been a coincidence on what Italian categorization designers have been known for. Mm. So I think that a lot of um, designers' teams, such as Density Design Lab, Francesco Franchi, Adel Solo, Vinti Quattrore, are mostly recognized for the work that they've been doing, and we've been doing for newspapers and magazines, that somehow share a set of visual constraints that, uh, like, you know, this kind of yellow and pinkish background, or the serif font, or... I mean, it, it's a visual style for itself in a way. But again, I don't think that there is really a difference. I would love to ask Scott why he has this question. So yeah. how he sees eventual differences. Please, Scott, comment on that. <laughs> <laughs> Rico, but it, but it could be that maybe this, the density style is something that has, to me, it also has a European flavor. Yeah. So, like, uh, and so maybe, maybe that's sort of... But I'm not sure. No, but I think, it, I don't know, in my opinion, it's just my idea. It really also really depends on the opportunities that you have on the kind of work that you're asked to do. Yeah. So really, we've been working a lot with newspapers that, for themselves, they set a kind of visual style. Yeah. I don't know. And also, as we know, the whole world like is in contact now, you know, especially in, <laughs> yeah. in these small fields. Yeah. Like ours, everybody's aware of everybody of else's work anyways. And so I don't see the big regional differences either. Well, yeah. What do you think, Enrico, about Italian? Uh, uh, I'm not sure, honestly. I don't know. I don't see... I see a German style out there. Hmm. It's it's obviously precise. Yeah. And, but <laughs> still, well, but it's machine. stylish <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a neat, very super mm. neat way. Uh, Italian style, I don't know. I'm not sure. I, I don't see too many differences. Yeah. Uh, I'm wondering if in Maybe general stuff coming more from restrained. Europe is more designy than stuff mm. coming from the US. I'm not sure. I'm just guessing. I don't know. I know some comments that we had. Uh, I don't know from some American clients or American people we've been talking to is that our data visualization design seemed tailored. You know, in a way, kind of uh -huh. customized yeah. and yeah. very. Different all the time. Right. I like this idea of tailoring data visualizations. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah sure. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, why don't we talk about... I think it's the first time we have a person from a, from a studio, from a design studio, right? Doing visualization. That's true. We normally have freelancers yeah. or techies or whatever. Professors. <laughs> we have all <laughs> sorts of people. But I think we never really talked about how it is to do visualization in a, in a design studio, in a team. So why don't you tell us something about that? How does it work? I mean, yeah, it must oh, be hard <laughs> coordinating, <laughs> coordinating all these people. Sure. And uh, yeah, how does it work? Hmm, okay. Do you have a predefined <laughs> workflow or it just happens or I don't know? Yeah, so uh, this is a hard question <laughs> because we are also every time trying to, um, you know, shifting things on the fly while we understand what is the project, what the project needs, how long it's going to take. And 
we don't really have a specific model to set up the teams. We know that we have some lead designers and the lead designers uh, are always the people that have the contacts with the clients because we don't really want to put somebody like accountant people in between. And so the lead designer, it depends on how big the project is. If the project is small, it can also be that the designer work on the project for itself. If the project is bigger, the designer could have be help um, yeah, could use the help of other designer or of developers if the project needs interactivity. And we always have uh, me and Simone, who are, you know, kind of like the most senior, just because we are older uh, guy <laughs> in the company, uh, working in a kind of transversal way in design um, part, which is my part, and in the content part, which is more Simone uh, part. But, uh, you know, it's. I think it, it was hard for me to uh, start learning how to delegate to other designers. Yeah, <laughs> it that's takes a, a big while. thing, right? When you work in team. Yeah. You know, it's... Moritz, do you ever delegate your work? Yeah, so sure. Yeah, yeah. How does it in feel like? Project. It depends. You always have to figure out like which part you can delegate. Probably that's yeah. exactly the problem. Yeah. On which... like, And many of the decisions you make sort of happen somewhere while you play with the data or develop ideas. And, sure. And so... It's, it's, yeah. But but I right now I feel that it's really a value for us that the fact that we have built this company and I'm super happy about that and also something that um, I wasn't really sure if I had if I would have enjoy so right now I'm very happy that we started to create job opportunities for people also sure. in Italy I mean sure, young designers sure, sure. that are happy right now working in they say amazing projects and so and they're learning and we are learning from them because I think that we are learning every day from younger designers you can so learn. you have designers from Italy coming to New York for uh, some time? Actually, yes, we try to we, we try to do that. It depends, of course. Uh, it's hard because of the visas, but as long as we can do everything legally, <laughs> we can do it. Mm. Yeah. So if you are a great designer living in Italy and wanting to spend some time in New York, <laughs> yeah, you know who to contact. Sure. <laughs> you know how. How else can I elaborate on the company? I think it's nice because you don't have typical days. You just have, you just like pass from designing and, uh, you know, more organizing and also trying to find clients and then uh, revising the design and doing, you know, meetings mm, with people within the company. I like it. And I like the atmosphere in the Milan office. I think this is the only thing that I miss about okay, Italy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everyone misses Italy. <laughs> this kind of thing. Yeah. How, do you, how do you split work from here to, to Milan? Do you are, are you handling different projects or...? Not or? really, not really. I think that we are mainly, I mean, we are just like three of us here in New York and there are some small projects that we can handle right here, but basically we are communicating a lot with Italy and we would like wake up very early every morning to have okay. Skype call with them. Mm -hmm. And we also learn to work remotely, which, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's very fine as long as you really are precise with the timings and, yeah, you set the workflow. But we are still working really, really very close to the Milan office. Mm -hmm. I don't know. We don't really... I have to be honest. We don't really have strategy. We plan things when we have the projects and as long as one project comes, we figure out how to do it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we seem more structured than we are, but no. So, and on... What do you think? How many projects do you have running in parallel? I know you're also working on a big European project, for instance, yeah. like a research project, probably some other 
sure. projects are more short term. So how, what is the typical mix of? Well, I think that we have um, every time something like 15 projects in the air mm. in a way, but but I would say less than 10, something like seven, eight, really running at high speed. And also we, as an average, we also have something like couple of two more, more research oriented, which like lying in the background, more slow uh, piece mm -hmm. and rhythm. Right. So, but I'd say not more than really eight to 10 projects ongoing at the yeah. same time. Yeah. And we really try to set this kind of, um, you know, uh, mm -hmm. threshold. Otherwise we would just like go crazy and split everybody into two main projects. Right, right. So you still have time to, to work on personal projects if you want to? Uh, what do you really mean with personal projects? I mean, like you don't have a client, no client. Yeah, we, we try to do that. Yeah. Okay. And I think that at least a couple of this kind of projects per year, we want to do that. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's sort of important just to try out new ideas because sure. yeah, in client settings you're always in a rush and it's yeah, you have external factors and yeah. Yeah, yeah. So what is your part in the process? I know as a matter of fact that you do a lot of drawing. I think we really wanted to know more about your your own process. My how own how process. does it work? I mean the kind of visuals that you guys produce, I think they have a pretty unique kind of uh, uh, style mm -hmm. and I'm really curious to hear how how this works. Yeah, I don't know why, but your question also made me think about what do I love in the design. What do I really like <laughs> in the design process? And I would just like start by saying that I really love uh, the beginning part and the end. <laughs> like I'm very excited to come up with the best ideas and solution, visually speaking. But at the same time, it's really satisfying to you know wrap up a project and see it come to life. But I really think that I like the beginning, uh, like the anticipation of the project in doing research to find material. And this is with all of the drawing starts, you know, like I really love to come up with visual ideas in the sketch phase. So I say that, you know, my design process is really, really very much based on sketching out ideas and drawing and trying to be inspired from different kinds of fields and not only existing the visualization and trying to translate this Things that I naturally like, like abstract paintings or architectural drawings or, you know, the musical notations, um, uh, landscape, um, to design clues for uh, the designs that I mean, we are about to do. So do you start from, I mean, the idea can come from anywhere. Does it start from the data, from a question, from yeah. uh, a visual design that you have in mind, regardless of the data? How does it work? Is I it all of that? Is it, I think it's all of that and it really depends. I think that sometimes the design of a visualization starts from the data that we have. And so, you know, a topic that we want to explore or a data set that we found. And so, of course, all of the ideas come from the analyzing of the data set and then coming up with visual models to um, uh, show them. Other times it's just like, why don't we visualize, we visualize this like that? So we might, you know, even, didn't, didn't have the data at hand. We suppose that we can find the data, but we just have a visual idea to say, why don't we visualize this kind of thing like that? Mm. Just to give you an example. That, that, yeah. It didn't happen to you? you well, no, it cannot happen to me. I mean, <laughs> it's such a strange idea for me doing visualization without the data. <laughs> and that's the reason why I'm really interested to, to understand how this works. And... Uh, uh, 
Do you have an example, maybe? Yeah, yeah I give mean, us an example. Uh, then I can also link you to the visualization because it's kind of hard to talk about a visualization sure, without sure. seeing yeah. that. But uh, we did one for Corriere della Sera. Uh, it's a European subway map. If you give when me the title, I will pull uh, it up from the... Okay, so you can go to our Flickr and it's called European oh. Subterranean Base. Okay. And it basically is a, new, a map of Europe with um, all of the subways of the cities, um, you know, just like added up one after the others. And this started just because I was reading that London Underground is... Uh, um, the sum of all of the underground lengths is 400 kilometers. Mm -hmm. And I was just like say, oh, it, isn't it huge? Could we go to Paris with the underground? And the visualization was almost there. So mm -hmm. we did this kind of overlapping bubbles, the dimension of which is just like one, uh, you know, the, the, the underground line, one after the others. But we didn't, we didn't find the data before. I was like, I was coming to the guys in the office and say, can we find the data about all of the European underground? Just because mm -hmm. I have this idea. Right. Which was visual before even, you know, they were driven. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, that's really cool. So it's always around one idea of how to, yeah, how, how to map a certain theme yeah. or a topic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I missed the question because I was asking if we could find the visualization. No, but often you start with the, the central idea of how do we how do we map yeah. that one thing, like or what's the metaphor we choose? Something like that. Yeah. Or also another one when we distorted the timeline of uh, Italian um, historical atlases mm -hmm. according to the number of pages they dedicated for each historical period. Mm -hmm. And it just started because uh, in Italy we would used to study history in a very chronological linear way and we would would have something like the first year of the high school with the Hensian time, the second year with the medieval time, the third year more on the Renaissance time, and then just like a couple of last year with a very actual and contemporary topic. And in my mind was like, you know, I think that our mental image of the time span is really distorted according to how much time we spend studying that. Sure, and so yeah, this was, yeah. and the visualization was already there. Mm. It was like two parallel distorted timelines to indicate this kind of distortion. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So sometimes it happened like this, but some other times, of course, when this kind of intuition didn't happen, uh, didn't happen, uh, we start from the data, of course. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, and I'm thinking now that I think about it. I mean, even even though I think I never tried to sketch any visualization without knowing what kind of data I want to use, I do draw a lot of sketches on paper when I think about visualization, maybe new visualization right. techniques or... And there is a lot of research out there explaining how and why paper prototyping works, right? And this is something I tell to my students all the time, just try to sketch something on paper as fast as you can. It's just a difference, I never do it without having a problem in front of me, right? Yeah. But sketching on paper, I think there is a lot of value there and probably not enough information out there on how to do that properly, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, that, I, that would be really interesting. A guide on, on paper, this paper prototyping or something like that, that would be really, really cool, right? I think that... <laughs> you could do that. <laughs> well, I could try. It's and Stephanie does that as well, right? Yeah. We have Stephanie sure, also in the yeah, past. Yeah, yeah. But one thing I'm wondering, because in my process it's often a bit more the other way around, that I first mm -hmm. take the data and then see which shapes deliver the in, the most interesting views on that data set. So mm -hmm. do you see a tension there, or is that something you bring in later in the process? Or let's say you have a great visual idea, but then it turns out 
on paper look good, <laughs> but yeah, then yeah, once yeah, you yeah. wear it, the real thing, thing, thing you know? absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Like, absolutely. how do you deal with that tension? Sure. In so basically, I think that the kind of process that I was explaining before, like coming up with visual ideas even before the data, is not happening that often. I think that ninety percent mm. of the time, maybe say eighty percent of the time, we start from a data set and analyzing data set. And my process is that I always sketch but I have different kind of phases the first phase when I'm basically most interested in categories of data meaning the number of variables that we have or you know the kind of topics we're talking about the possible correlation or just like the total number of elements uh, to shape the story and in this phase I honestly don't really use the real data and the actual values and number I just like sketch um, a kind of possible, I would say, architecture or the visualization, so the spatial mm -hmm. layout. And then a second phase would I would just like re-sketch again or elaborating the first idea or coming up with something totally different when we went uh, when we go more in depth with the data. And I also have to be honest, I never analyze the data. People in the office make fun of me because I don't want to open the Excel. <laughs> I, I, I have them telling me <laughs> the highest numbers, the smallest one, mm -hmm. but this is another story. No. Uh, and so this is the second part when we re-sketch and I re-sketch also to communicate to my designers, of course, because to me it's also a very, uh, it's the best way to communicate what I have in mind, just mm -hmm. like to sketch them out. And to conclude, we also sketch with Illustrator. So of course, then once we uh, see how really the data behave and if the visual model was the best to convey the story, we also sketch and have different kind of draft in Illustrator, mm -hmm. of course. Yeah. But I think it's... Always an iteration of that. Here's another question that's something I always struggle with too is what do you show the clients and when? Like, like <laughs> so you, you know, you have this sort yeah. of vision of how things look, but maybe it's a bit hard to formulate exactly at the beginning. And how, how much do you involve the clients also in the creation? Do you give them alternatives or do you like, sure. I know other people like postpone the client meeting to the very last minute so there cannot no, be too much that. interference. I hate that. Yeah, so how I, do you work with, with I, that? I mean, since I think it's very easy for me to come up with a drawing that maybe is also, you know, intelligible because, I mean, I'm, I've always been drawing and, and I, I did architecture. I mean, I spent five years mm. drawing manually these kind of plans and layers. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I'm very quick in drawing. Mm -hmm. I like to share the first ideas as long as they are in a kind of intelligible form. Also because but I already as a sketch, you would say, like, this is an idea we have and we're now working on it. Yeah, and I try yeah, to explain yeah. how they should abstract the <laughs> sketch yeah. and not really take everything that is there as the final design. And I like, we like this part because I think they really will like, they have feedbacks from the clients. Because since we are really like working crosswise with different fields, we want to have, uh, you know, opinions from the very experts in the field if our design is okay for them. And I, I, I see that there is a value to really have lots of feedback for, from the client. Of course, you have to educate them not to tell you, you know, thousands of things and... But this is something. And another funny thing is that sometimes clients, it happened at the very beginning, they fell in love with the sketch. And yeah. so they, they, they were like, oh, but so, you know, the, the very last taste and feel would be like that, right? Yeah, yeah. Not, not really. Yeah. <laughs> we kind of do it there is a anchoring effect. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, and it's really important. Like the first things the clients see often primes the whole project. Yeah. I think it's easier yeah. if it is a sketch yeah. and not a digital mockup. Sure, because sure. if it is a digital mockup, they would be focusing on, you know, the font and the layout. Right. Right, right, something right. while well, a sketch is more yeah. abstract as well. Yeah. It looks like work in progress. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's also even tools like Balsamic, you know, for wireframing or so that imitate sketchy <laughs> lines. Yeah, to, just to make the status clear of, yeah. of a draft. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, which is part of the reason why prototyping works, right? Yeah. There's also Jason Dykes, they, um, they did some research, so it's a researcher in London, and they they said sketchiness is also a nice way to represent like uncertainty or vague data. Uh, so, you know, the, the more something looks like a, like a chalkboard sure. drawing or a pencil sketch, the more people will maybe take not every number to the second digit behind the comma. Yeah, I think so. And that's a nice technique. So how does it work? Do you have someone programming your thing at the end or...? Of course, it depends. I think that in all of the static visualization that we did, and I think that they are the, the thing that we are mostly known for, the visuals mm -hmm. for Creative Data we do everything just like from Excel to Illustrator. And so it's really, really Excel and Adobe Illustrator. For, of course, the interactive project that we did and that we do, we have two full-time developers, but I think that for static images, we never had anything um, coded or programmed. So you do it basically on Illustrator? Yeah. Okay. You seem not so happy about Lots of that. Answer. Yeah. No, no, I'm just I sorry, no, no, no. I see your face, yeah, so. Poor people. <laughs> I, honestly I'm not happy because I have absolutely no idea how this works in Illustrator. I feel totally ignorant. How do you connect that uh, to, to visuals in Illustrator? Well actually we can draft some charts out from Excel and then really retracing the draft the the, uh, the charts in Illustrator or yeah. we can use the charts from Illustrator. But you can connect the charts to the original data. Yeah, but that's horrible. That's all horrible yeah. in Illustrator. Yeah. There's a bar chart, there's a bubble chart, and, but they, they are not great. So yeah. you're basically constrained to the basic yeah. charts and then you can draw on top you of You calculate that. yourself, basically, right? Yeah. Uh, if a circle needs to have a certain size, yeah, sure. you type it in and... Yeah, yeah. Everything is... Copy-paste, yeah. lots of copy-paste. But this super <laughs> manual approach, I think we had a similar discussion with Stephanie yeah. when, when she was on the show. I mean... I still think that, and maybe it's just because I cannot code, I still think that it's easier, at least for me, to do very customized visuals and new and experimental visuals if I start really from what I want and not from what the tools can provide sure. me with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure, so, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I still think it's That's the other interesting thing, I think, about your style is that I don't think you think too much in diagram types. Like, okay. let's make a stream graph or let's make a bubble chart. Mm -hmm. But it's much more about what visual properties signify what and what are the visual variables we're using for what and yeah. what does the arrangement symbolize or yeah. yeah and so totally. maybe that's also because why every like of your design seems fresh because you always come up with a new combination of, of things, right? We also try really to experiment on that. I think that especially with the Cordera de la Sera work, which is totally exploratory and mm -hmm. we still want yeah, we still keep on doing. We, on purpose, try to experiment with rich narratives, but with, I'd say, non-common aesthetics to convey right. this kind yeah. of data density. Yeah. Just like to, you know, I have these kind of big ideas, which is so crazy, to try to create new languages, new visual languages for this kind of density of mm -hmm. data, which mm -hmm. is, I know, it's a very crazy thing. <laughs> but yeah. I love, I mean, and we were talking about that before, of course, when we are delivering uh, rich narratives, lots of people... Just like simply say it's too complicated, I cannot get it. I'd love to find ways for, you know, just like convey complicated data sets, uh, you know, rich visuals in a way that people then can understand. I don't know if it so makes sense. One thing I'm curious about, so when you are sketching your visualizations and you're thinking about 
I'm sure at some point you have to think about, especially when you have projects that are driven by data, mm -hmm. you have to think about how do I encode this data property into a visual property? Are you, are you somewhat influenced by stuff like the past work of Jacques Bertin on visual encoding or something like that? Or you just do it naturally? I mean, is there anything that you read in the past that helps you in this process? Or is it just your experience in doing that? I have to be honest, it's very natural. It's and very really, natural. Okay. think about the fact that shit, until two years ago, I really didn't was into data visualization. Okay. And my background is totally different. So sure. it's, it's just that I'm not But that's so the reason why I'm asking. I'm curious yeah. about it because no, you seem really. to do it in a very natural way. And uh, yeah, I think the way I work is more... Uh, I think I am very much influenced to, <laughs> by what I what I what I read in the past, right? So the, the reason the way I work is more kind of like oh I have a categorical variable mm -hmm. and this can be mapped to these visual variables, right? right. I have some mm -hmm. some kind of shortcuts. I don't know if it's good or bad, but no. I, mean, I know that I'm very ignorant from this side. So I'm yeah, maybe that's a bad thing. This is, know, this is not what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I'm yeah, just no. trying to say that I mean I think I find it an interesting. Very interesting thing in the way you work. And um, I think we were discussing, me and Moritz, that one, one thing that is really interesting in, in your work is the, the fact that you have, sometimes you have very complex drawings, mm -hmm. or, or let's say sophisticated drawings with a very high density. And uh, it doesn't happen very often that you see high density kind of visualizations out there. First, because what I notice is that most people don't get it. I mean, mm. not not only not only those people who are uh, reading the charts, but also the designers themselves. There are people, especially um, early practitioners. They don't have this. They are not used to create high mm -hmm. these high density visuals. Whereas I think that this is one of the coolest thing in visualization. I mean, mm. if you flip through uh, Edward Tufte's Books, the reason why you love this, some of these pictures, at, at least this mm. is true for me, yeah. is that some of this stuff is highly dense, but not in an over, overwhelming way. It's high density, but you can see this data at different levels. You can see something, you can see a, a big picture, then you can see the details. You have this micro, macro, micro views, stuff like that. I think this is true in your work. Um, but at the same time, your visuals became very popular. <laughs> so I think what is really unique in your work is the fact that you still manage to publish stuff that is very complex, but it's very popular. So, yeah. <laughs> so and, and I'm also wondering, so a second question about that, how much do you worry about whether people can read what you do? I mean, that's... Yeah, this is an interesting point. I think that to begin with, we cannot think about designing for everybody, never. So I think that basically every time that you design something, it is targeted to a kind of audience. I mean, potentially I'd love to design things that everybody, everybody would love the same way, but basically I think it's kind of impossible. So um, I know for sure that lots of people just like may say it's too complicated, but I also think that trying to, first of all, catch readers' eyes with pleasant aesthetics within this kind of data density could be for them a jumping point to say, oh, it's beautiful, let's try to understand more. So mm. this is our idea, like attracting readers with hopefully beautiful aesthetics to get them, um, you know, 
exploring the data. Then, when it comes to say it's dense, but it's not overwhelming, as you say before, like Tati or something like that, I think that this is super important to establish hierarchies and making them clear. So we're really, really working very hard with hierarchy of information, with something like first stories that could be understood at a glance, mm. and then uh, you know details. more details. And I always use this sentence that I love from Sean Carter, the designer of New York Times, that he talks about designing for both Bart Simpson and Elisa Simpson. Yeah. <laughs> I love this. Yeah, yeah. And he thinks about his audience, like, you know, you have to design for a Bart Simpson that maybe just want to go there, have a quick fix, and just, like, walk away. But then the same piece should also be understood and really enjoyed by Elisa Simpson that maybe she could want to spend time in understanding, stay there. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Yeah, no, it's really nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and I think for a while people thought magazine graphics have to be all about Bart only. And, yeah. And, <laughs> <laughs> no, really. And uh, so I'm, I'm happy that the more a, complex things sure. you can study for minutes really are coming back. So that's, that's It is cool. our aim to, you know... Um, Encouraging people to stay in a place for a while, to stay there yeah, and try yeah. to understand. Yeah. Well, I, I truly believe that visual sophistication is, is really important. It's just that it takes time for people to get it. Yeah. And there is a learning process happening out there, right? As more and more people are exposed to more complex and deep visuals, the more they have to learn how to read them, right? Yeah. And hopefully at some point there will be a much larger segment of the population who can read this stuff easily, yeah. right? And I think that there is a huge problem out there in terms of visual literacy, right? How do you teach people to read these things? And I think what is really interesting in what, what you mentioned is that, I think I never saw it this way, but if something is engaging, appealing, then people are happy to spend more time understanding it, right? I hope so. Which actually remember, reminds me, I think there was a research paper a couple of years back at this, called uh, something like Visual Difficulties, blah, 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 I don't remember, <laughs> from Jessica Allman and Nick Diakopoulos. I think it's one of those who was tear apart by, by, by Stephen Few, but it doesn't matter too much. Um, and I think the interesting point there is that it, it looks like there is a lot of psychological research out there showing that making things more difficult might actually be beneficial mm -hmm. <laughs> because yeah. people are more engaged okay I don't know when this is true mm -hmm. <laughs> how the how this mechanism works but there is some theory out there that actually supports this 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 mechanism so I think that's that's interesting I think that the beautiful and unexpected part of that is important as well so, yeah, complex, new, but also, I mean, it, it has to be beautiful. It has to be aesthetically pleasant so that you want to spend time on that. This is just my take. <laughs> so it just comes into my mind, how do you... So when we talk about engagement um, in visualization, I think that text plays a major role as mm -hmm. well. So you have to have a very nice interplay between the visuals and the text. Annotation. Right? Annotation. I mean, the first thing you read is probably the, the header, right? Mm -hmm. Or And then the notes. So how do you do that? Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I can explain. I think that also the text has to be layered the proper way. So mm. the headline is... 
the story explanation, the big story explanation. So the headline should be pretty visible, but then all of the other text element shouldn't distract from the visual elements. They should just like be in the background just to explain if the visual uh, is not really able to do it automatically. And it's very hard to talk about these things and not drawing these kind of things. But I think that the text should be really balanced within the visual as if it was a visual element. Mm. I don't know if it makes sense. So usually you also do the text for the graphics or is that something you, your client will work on? Or? Uh, so if we mean the text within the graph, we always mm -hmm. do that. Yeah. But in some pieces that we do from magazine, we also have an extra article oh, written by a journalist. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it also happened a couple of times that we wrote the article, but just because we were... I don't know, I don't really know when, just because they asked us, can you just like write the article as well? <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, but basically, so yeah, we... we yeah, we do all of the text, the, the labeling, the legion, and the explanation within the graph, mm. but then we sometimes have an extra, um, yeah, an extra article. But actually, it's fun because we always talk about the project that we do for print, and I think that as Lynn pointed out on Twitter, we are mostly known for this kind of printed and static data visualization, mm -hmm. while I think that basically more than 50% of the job that we do is really working with interactive data visualization and oh, uh, interactive yeah. tool to visually convey uh, an access to the data. It's just, that, it's just that basically we are not able to release them all, and also some of them we are about to release them just because we've been working on them for the last six months. I think that I don't, yeah, we are, we're still pretty much known and we are always been asked questions about the printed process and yeah. I think this is true a little bit for everyone. Yeah, there are yeah. not too many interactive tools out there, mm -hmm. right? I mean, I think it's also, the problem is that static pictures are much easier to share on Twitter, Facebook or whatever, so they just spread much faster. And quicker to produce, so you can yeah, have lots of... Yeah. Lots of them, yeah. 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 So, what do you want to tell us something about the interactive projects that you <laughs> <Well>, do? <laughs> no, it, it just like happened to, to my mind right now to, to say that all, also this conversation is like everything about the pieces that we did for print, which I think it, I mean, it's easier for us to experiment with you know new metaphors and visuals and languages for these printed uh, pieces just, just because it's quicker, just because we can do it within a short time span. And so I also think this is why we are mostly known for this. Mm -hmm. for this. We are about to release a couple of projects and we are also yeah. very happy about it. I cannot tell you a lot, but we will release something. Um, so another thing I wanted to ask you is more, I think many of your, of your visualizations have been popularized by brain pickings. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us more about how, how this worked, work works? Well, it was very natural. When I came to New York in the first place, I So just... maybe we should mention what brain pickings is yeah, to, yeah. To, to people who don't know what it is. You, you want to say what brain no, pickings no, no, is? Go ahead. I mean, I don't know much about it, but <laughs> I know that it's a super famous blog uh, written by Maria Popova, mm -hmm. right? Is she also based in New York? Yeah, yeah, she lives yeah. in New York as well. Yeah, okay, I never met her. And she has this uh, super popular blog where she creates 
it's what basically she curates yeah. content taken from books or other sources. Yeah, more cultural and literary content, and she curates all of these amazing posts. And I think this is very brilliant. And everybody who is not familiar with Brain Pixie should go there and yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's totally cool. I mean, if only yeah. I had enough time to read it every day. <laughs> There's a Sunday but... <laughs> digest, Sunday weekly digest. Yeah. <laughs> you can subscribe to the Sunday email. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, so, but actually it was very simple. I, I've been always fascinated by her blog and I just wrote has her an email uh, when I came to New York to say, I'm here, I love mm -hmm. what you do, this is what I do, shall we meet? And just we met and we found common interest in lots of things. Like, I mean, she's very uh, interested in visualization and so she's very open to experiment with visualization. And so as every time that we did something related to her topics, like cultural or literary, I would just like send an email to her and say, you like it, if you like it, you can publish it. And if she liked it, <laughs> she published it. But lately, we just we also collaborated with her. So, so you've been spamming year. her. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, but I mean... In a good way. In a yeah, good way. Sure. I hope so. And yeah, but uh, the last project that we did, uh, we did it uh, with her, in collaboration with her. So it started from her idea, and it was a relationship oh, okay. between um, um, sleeping habits of uh, famous writers and their productivity. So the time writers uh, wake up... Oh, yeah, and I saw productivity. Yeah. yeah. And also, we teamed up with... Uh, Illustrator Wendy McNaughton to do mm -hmm. this project, and it's so nice because we kind of like shared and we mixed up this data visualization language and the illustration language. But actually, this piece was totally curated by Maria, and so she had the idea and she mm -hmm. helped us with the criteria to find the data, and yeah. So this was a real collaboration, and we are also starting a new one. <laughs> nice, that's good. <laughs> cool. Lynn also asks Lynn Journey on Twitter what is what would be your favorite kind of client or project or maybe you know, talk about the future like do you have yeah. any dreams like types of projects you would like to do? So uh, talking about favorite clients, I think that of course the, the the most ideal client would be the one that pays you a lot of money for doing something very experimental <laughs> and also in a project that you are learning something. You right. know. Yeah. Okay. And then they promote it really well. Of and course, <laughs> visualize it. Yeah. And you get invited for yeah. uh, conferences and yeah, yeah. yeah. something like that. Yeah. <laughs> but. I mean, I think that, <laughs> no, but we are very happy with our collaboration with Corriere de la Sera, of course, because mm -hmm. they really leave us experiment 100%. Without, I mean, they really, really, we can do mm -hmm. in a way whatever we like as long as the criteria are, you know, approved by them. We also lately, we've been working with, um, yeah, for a platform that we will release on, um, Analytics about fashion trends, so qualitative and data visualization mm -hmm. and um, the fashion trends. That's a good good topic. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. yes. And we have you ever seen that that one? I think there was a camera on the street picking clothes from people for oh, wow. a very long time and then playing yeah. with color. That oh, was wow. really cool. And yeah. now colors change with nice. with seasons. Yeah, that yeah. was a really cool one. Yeah. Wow. Sorry for interrupting. No, but... no problem. <laughs> It's interesting. I was just mentioning this client because they, they've been amazing throughout all the process. And mm -hmm. I think that they really appreciate the design approach that we had. And we really let us experiment with not non-common visual models for visualizing this kind of thing. Then we are very happy with this collaboration. And so, uh, like to wrap up the answer, I think that the more the client is open to experiment and the more we are happy. So this is basically our yeah, favorite yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. And in the future, I think that I'd love to... I think we'd love to work more with interactive data visualization, but also with the kind of 
feeling and the approach that we have for the static ones. So really like, you know, customizing things, trying to build unexpected visuals. Mm -hmm. And I would also love to work uh, for physical spaces like museums. Oh, yeah. and, I mean, oh, I'm an architect, yeah. and so I, I, I love to. <laughs> That's a cool one. Yeah. Yeah. I think working with public uh, displays, that would be really cool, especially in New York. I've been thinking yeah. about it for a while. Mm -hmm. There are so many spaces out here that could be just, just perfect. I mean, every time I go to Times Square, it's kind of <laughs> like, oh, what could we do with so many pixels out there? Yeah. That would be really cool. I mean, and it's not very creative. If you go there, it's the usual Coca-Cola stuff going on sure, for sure. the last 20 years. Well, I so, think we should convince everybody or the that visualization is better than advertising in yeah. the springs, but... <laughs> No, Come on, that would be a nice competition, right? Kind of like giving for for a few days uh, the opportunity to some designers yeah. to to take care of Times Square's monitors. That would be huge. Ask Coca-Cola if it's So if the new mayor is, is listening to this one, to, to the stories, please do that. <laughs> I could actually pitch. I should pitch this idea. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. Someone. We are in. <laughs> <laughs> you see? How to hold in. What else? I think we're almost done. <laughs> Do you plan to learn programming sometime in the future? Not really. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> Damn it. <laughs> And I hope Stephanie is not learning as well. She she is. I she think. Is. No, I don't think so. No, no, no she's not. No, I think okay. she's she's staying strong. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, this pairs up well with my dream of uh, teaching aesthetics to engineers. Yeah, <laughs> which would be really really. Good. Maybe we could organize a workshop where we we. We teach programming to designers and, and aesthetics mm -hmm. to engineers. Mm -hmm. That would be a nice, mm -hmm. nice thing to do. Uh, okay. Cool. Nice. Super nice. We've been Thank talking you. for a while, right? <laughs> okay. Good. Is Thank there anything you, else we should? Thank you, <laughs> yeah. Thanks for being on. It was so nice to have you. Yeah, yeah. now we can go for some coffee or whatever. We have bagels here. Yeah. <laughs> we should do it more often, Moritz. Yeah, it's super Just nice to be in the same room. Just come to New York more yeah. often. I'm working on it. I mean, yeah. yeah, I have a few collaborators here now. So, so guys, again, uh, let me just uh, remark again that if you want to send us comments, uh, feedback, email, propose, new episodes you people. can also rate us on itunes that will help oh you can it. rate us on itunes that that's apparently super yeah. <laughs> super useful in promoting the podcast so if you have a few seconds to do that please do it but again we are very happy to hear from you so let us know what you want us to do that's right bye bye Take care. <laughs> see bye you bye bye, bye. 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 bye.